Hello and welcome to Mothers Matter, the podcast which takes a good look at why mothers matter so much to their children, why mothers matter in society and what matters to mothers themselves. Today's podcast is an interview with Emily Tredgett, who has set up the app Mummy Links to help combat loneliness and help bring mothers together, and also runs a campaign called Hashtag Shouty Selfie, which this year will be on the 29th of April, um, which is designed to raise awareness of maternal mental health. And so our conversation today is all about her struggles with postnatal depression, um, how she set up the Mummy Links app, what um, challenges she's faced with that, and what she's hoping to achieve with the Hashtag Shouty Selfie campaign. So um, I hope you really enjoy it. Ah. <laughs> right, well, thank you, Emily, for meeting with me today. That's and I'm right. really interested to hear what you've got to say um, about the topic of loneliness, postnatal depression, mummy links, all the things you've been involved in. But uh, first of all, I'd like to find out a bit more about you mm-hmm. and your background, sure. your work life, your family life and so on. Yep, certainly. So um, I studied engineering and at university, and then I went into doing strategy consulting. Um, so lots of ridiculous hours um, for about 18 months before moving to Innocent Drinks, the smoothie company, uh, for about five years in supply chain. Um, and then I had my son, so um, Oliver, um, who's just turned four. Um, and I'm married to Dan, who is an accountant. Um, and when I had Oliver, I just really started struggling with my mental health. So I didn't actually go back to work, um, but kind of started setting up my own thing called Mummy Links. Um, but yeah, so it's been a bit of a change from what I thought I'd be doing. But yeah, I love it. Did you know anything about um, mental health issues in mothers before you had Oliver? No, not at all. And not really in the wider society as well as mothers either. Um, It wasn't really something that was on my radar. Um, And I think partly that was the problem actually, because I I think I struggled with anxiety during pregnancy, um, which at the time I I didn't know. Um, Obviously every every mum, I'm sure, every mum during pregnancy is a bit anxious, um, not quite sure what they're expecting, but actually in hindsight, having struggled so much two years after having Oliver, um, I could see that actually it was panic attacks and things like that I was having. And actually, if I had been aware of it, I think that would have helped because I would have got help much quicker. I would have understood that it wasn't that I was just a failure as a mother and it was me that was fundamentally flawed, but that that there was actually like an illness involved. What what form did the anxiety take? Um, So generally, I would just suddenly feel this intense panic. My like, my chest would kind of close up. I'd feel like I couldn't breathe. I'd get really hot and sweaty. It's a bit disgusting. Um, And I just feel like I needed to get out into the fresh air. So I remember particularly during pregnancy, quite towards the end, it was worse towards the end of the pregnancy, um, going out for dinner with my husband and his auntie and uncle. Um, Normally something I'd love because I do love my food. Um, (laughs) But I, I don't think I even got to the, to the main course. I think we just had some drinks maybe. And then it just suddenly hit me and I just, felt so hot and sweaty and disgusting and I just had to get outside and I ended up just going home and having to just walking home because it was nearby our house just having to go home because I just felt like I couldn't do it and I always felt better when I got into the fresh air but I'd I'd kind of need to walk off the adrenaline I'd have a huge adrenaline rush um and then quite often a bit after that I then suddenly feel really cold I don't know I think that was it kind of coming out um but I kind of didn't realise it at the time until then during, um, well, once I'd had my son, I was then having that hundreds of times a week. Um, and then I obviously realised something's not right. And the doctor said, sounds like you're having mostly quite low level, but consist, like constant panic attacks. That seemed to be the state I was then living in which wasn't wasn't ideal no. <laughs> so it was it was very physiological it wasn't that you started thinking how's he going to do it maths and will we get him in a decent school or anything yeah. there was no there wasn't a specific thing you were worried about um well so. I mean not that far down the line I mean the thing that seemed to worry me was that I had this constant fear that I was going to be taken ill I was going to mm. faint or I was going to be sick or something like that and in that moment I wasn't going to be able to look after him so I really hated being left on my own with him um, some mums find they don't want to be left on their own with their children because actually they're fearful of hurting their children. You can get very intrusive thoughts. But for me, it was that I was going to suddenly faint or something like that and 
no one was going to be there and no, and he was just going to be there on his own. So I had a lot of time when my mum would either be looking after him or would be with us together just because I needed that safety net that actually should I faint, which I never did, but should I, I would have a backup. Um, and it is weird. So with so for me, it was mostly anxiety that then led on to depression because I'd been quite a strong businesswoman. I'd been able to, you know, batter through any difficult situations before. And so suddenly to not be able to do something that I thought was going to be relatively easy naively was kind of a, a shock. And I think it kind of rocked my identity a bit. I wasn't quite sure what was going on. And so um, that led, I had chronic insomnia. So I was surviving for about six months on just one hour sleep a night. Um, and then obviously with that, the anxiety got worse and then the depression. I just felt like I was failing, that it was all my fault. Um, and obviously it wasn't, but at the time that when you're stuck in that cycle, it's tricky to think otherwise. So when Oliver was first born, did you have a sense of bonding straight away? Was there an issue when he was no, born? No, not, not at all. So I, I ended up having a C-section because I had preeclampsia. Um, and I remember when I, I was in um, like the ICU section afterwards recovering and they actually almost had to force me to open my eyes because I was so anxious. They called me the runaway bride, I think, because... <laughs> Before having him, I just kept on having to go outside to get fresh air. Um, and I was just in such a heightened sense of anxiety at that point. Like I remember my legs were like rock solid because they were in so much tension. Um, and I just had my eyes shut throughout the entire um, C-section afterwards because I kind of wanted to pretend I wasn't there. Mm. I'd been doing uh, hypnobirthing, so um, like meditation stuff, which really helped keep me calm-ish. But... <laughs> I just didn't really want to be there. So they had to force me to open my eyes. And I remember just thinking, oh, he looks like my sister. And that <laughs> that was kind of it. Um, and I don't, I was in hospital for three days, I think it was after the C-section, but I didn't, I picked him up now and again to try breastfeeding. Um, but other than that, I didn't really, because I was so just having to get myself through being in hospital until I got out that I couldn't really worry about anything about like around me. Um, so obviously that was a different experience to what I was expecting and it took a good months if not years to get to the point where I felt like I had the normal bonds that you would expect um, and I think it is difficult because so postnatal depression affects one in four or one in five women depending on what statistics you look at um, and so that bonding process it really for lots of people it is difficult and you it's something that people I think are kind of ashamed of because obviously it's not something that you want to happen. Um, and often I think mums that find that, they actually try and not be around their children because they kind of feel guilty about that. And actually it's until you can build that bond, you know, that's how it's then going to get better. Um, and that's why, you know, it's great when we have mother and baby units. So I, I wasn't in a mother and baby unit. I don't know whether I should have been, whether it was just because there weren't any around. But I think those things are great because it kind of, forces you to spend time with your baby like little by little with the support of people around you um, and it's really important because mm -hmm. we need to make sure that you know not only the mum is healthy but also the baby further down the line um, and since doing mummy links I've done lots of research and they've found that it's um it's a cost, total economic and social cost to society in the UK of 8.1 billion per cohort of babies born because of mental health issues mm. um so it's a huge loss amongst like, the mothers amongst well the, that's or... the interesting thing it's 30 percent generally assigned to the mothers but 70 percent to the children because mm. actually if you haven't had that bond and the eye contact mm. and the love mm. there's lots of issues that can happen further down the line obviously if there's a father or another figure that can step in then that can help as well but it's really difficult and actually when we look at society now you know that lots of teenagers struggling with mental health we need to kind of get a, a grip on it and kind of help the mums um because there's also um research saying that actually if a mum is anxious whilst pregnant that can affect mm. the baby inside and that that could have negative effects throughout so there's some great organizations that are and um, there's one called if whip that's trying to promote um mental health wellness during pregnancy because it is something if we can kind of get at the root potential root cause of the problems then then that can help for generations to come so that's what I'm trying to do. So go, going back though to the um so while you were pregnant did the anxiety attacks whatever start early on or was it later? Um, it was mostly later um I I felt quite anxious I think in the first trimester but not I think just like a normal new mum might be kind of a bit overwhelmed of what's to come um, but I have heard 
um, that if you have a bit of anxiety in the first trimester, you quite often then have bad anxiety in the third trimester. Mm. Not quite sure why, but um, it was mostly towards the end of the third trimester. Mm. Um, I think it was just kind of overwhelm of the labour and what was to come. And it was funny because I'd been quite calm about it. I was going to have a water birth and I was doing the hypnobirthing, so I was quite kind of zen about it. <laughs> um, and I, I remember even saying to my sister, you know, oh, I don't think I will because of I want to make sure I'm around um, doctors and things, but I could actually see why people have home births, whereas I'd never understood that before. I always thought that was crazy. But I was actually like, actually, I think that would be really good. And she kind of looked at me as though I was mad. Um, but so it was kind of then a surprise then a few weeks later that it kind of did a complete 360. And mm. yeah, I found it really difficult. And how many weeks were you when you had preeclampsia? I mean, you've got the preeclampsia. Um, it was quite late when they actually um, diagnosed it. I think I was being watched for maybe a month or so because I had some of the indicators like high blood pressure, um, but I didn't have the protein. So it was literally a few days. Um, I remember it's over Christmas. I had to go in on New Year's Eve as well and New Year's Day and there was like no one else there. Um, but in the end, I only had him a day early. So oh, right. it, okay. it, it was just kind of towards the end. So sort of psychologically, you were psyched up. It wasn't that you were surprised to be having a no, baby at really. that stage. No. You were about as prepared. Yeah. Is, there, is there any link between um, anxiety and preeclampsia? Is preeclampsia purely medical or could it be set off by the anxiety? I'm side? not sure, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a medical background. It, it would be an interesting thing to know. Yeah, I don't know. One thing I have heard, though, is that you're more likely to have postnatal depression if you have a boy. Oh. which I hadn't heard before. Really? Um, and another thing that actually, funny enough, at a wedding at the weekend, someone told me was that if your dad suffered with postnatal depression, which is less common, but it's still one in 10, and particularly if the mum has it, the dad's more likely to, because it's not um, it's not just a purely hormonal thing, it's um, to do with a life transition, then you, if you're a girl, are then more likely to have it as well. So there's lots of I mean, it's quite new research coming out, I think, but there's lots of um, kind of bits of research as to where these things might come from. But, um, yeah, I'm not a medic, so I don't quite know. Do you know why the boy, why it's an issue if you have a boy? I don't, know. I'd have to look into it more. I imagine it must be something to, it might be something to do with the hormones. I'm not Mm. quite sure, but... um, I wonder whether, and I, I don't know this at all, but the, traditionally boys aren't as good as eye contact. Eye contact, they're more mm. into objects and things, yeah. aren't they? So whether the mothers, if you're already feeling that you're not bonding with them and then you're not getting what you expect, yeah, I don't perhaps. know, that could be yeah, total rubbish, know. but um, yeah, I don't know if it it's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Um, and did you recognise, at what point did you recognise that it wasn't you, it was something sort of controlling you as such? Well, I think it, the recognition kind of came in different stages. So, I mean, I knew when I was in the hospital that I wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, I can never remember which one, <laughs> um, before I went home just to check that I was fine because I wasn't acting like a mm-hmm. normal mum. Um, and But they, they signed me off as fine and I got home. Um, and I think what did they what did they see that meant that they thought you were fine? Well, that I was fine, or that I wasn't. Yeah, fine? that you that were was... fine. No, so you saw this, it's probably a psychologist, unless you could be prescribed things. But what? Because from what you're describing mm. as an amateur, I'd say it sounds like you weren't fine. So mm. who saw you to say you are fine? And then because maybe they could have spotted something at that point. Well, I think partly it's to do with your support structures. Okay. So they could see, like my husband was there as they were talking to me. They could see that he was very supportive. Um, and he is, I couldn't have done it without him. <laughs> um, and they knew that my parents were around the corner. So they knew I had a good support system there. Um not at that conversation, but I have had latter conversations with many GPs because um, I felt like I lived at a GP for a good year. Um, and they said things like, well, you're very articulate on this subject. You're, you know, you're well researched. And by that point, you know, I had looked into it. And I think that didn't actually help me because um, actually there were, there were periods of time where my husband would go to work at eight o'clock and my mum would turn up at eight o'clock and look after my son, either with me or she'd take him to her house around the corner. And then she'd drop him back at six o'clock when my husband would be back. And actually, I was as bad as I was during that period and constantly at the doctors asking for help, even though I actually wasn't doing anything. And so I think if they'd realised that actually all I was doing during certain periods was lying in bed or watching TV, unable to do anything, you know, unable to make myself lunch and things like that, just literally surviving but I was still that bad, then actually I might have got more help. Um, And it is a tricky one, but um, 
yeah, I think it was probably to do with that. And also, I don't know, I just, I think I did start to feel a bit better towards the end when I was going home. And when I came home from hospital, I did feel like a weight had lifted. I felt much less anxious. And I remember having a nice newborn photo shoot. And I remember my husband saying, I've got old Emily back, like you're back to normal. Um, but I think it was when Oliver turned about three months and he started sleeping through the night, which obviously was very lucky. Um, unheard, not quite unheard of, but near yeah. enough. Um, but I suddenly stopped. And I remember that was really weird. And we weren't quite sure why, um, but I was literally sleeping like an hour a night. And obviously, I mean, I know every mum's not sleeping much, but generally you try to get a bit more than that. Um, and I remember the doctors said that I should maybe stop breastfeeding, which I stopped at about six months because they thought that maybe I'd kind of thrown off my circadian rhythm by getting up in the night. Um, and so my husband did a lot more bottle feed. He'd do more of the night feeds in the hope that I could get back to it. And I tried sleeping pills. I remember going to a wedding um, and I tried some sleeping pills the night before because I was like, I really need to sleep to get through the wedding. But they just didn't work for me. I don't know whether, obviously, some drugs don't work for different people, but I just had such high adrenaline that they just didn't didn't work so and it was tricky so I did I was I felt like I was constantly shouting for help not necessarily literally but you know to the GP I really I put myself I self-referred to IAPS so which is like the uh, mental health services in all the different areas and they referred me as well but I think because I was quite self-aware perhaps they didn't think I was as bad as I was and of course you know there are huge waiting lists so it was quite tricky to kind of get the help I needed I felt um, and I know that that's obviously getting better now but I just happened to live in an area that didn't have great provision mm. um, so I, I I was didn't want to go on antidepressants personally because of the side effects and they said they could make you suicidal and I was like well I'm sometimes suicidal anyway I don't need help in that area um, and, I'm very good at being suicidal <laughs> yes I've got that down <laughs> specialist I don't need help suicidal. there but and also like they always said that the side effects could go on for six weeks. And actually many of my friends who've had them haven't found that. Um, it's been much quicker, if if not at all. But in my naive mind, I always thought, well, I'm going to be better in six weeks. So why go through worse period for six weeks? And obviously two years later, um, at the time when I actually finally did feel much better, it, I probably should have gone on them. But I went down the, um, I did some CBT and some talking therapy. And that is a long road, but it definitely did help. And did, and how was Oliver with you at this time? Because you it sounds like you were spending quite a lot of, through no fault of your own, but a lot of time not with him in the day in crucial time when mm. you know, it's it's a, a sort of vicious circle, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, he's got a very good bond with my mum, um, and obviously her being able to look after him, so she didn't work, so that was invaluable, really. Um, and it's funny because I don't. The brain's a funny thing, isn't it? I don't really remember those periods very much. What I remember is I can, re like when he was very small, I can remember lying in our bed, well, like sitting up in bed with him singing, well, a silly song. I was singing like Old MacDonald and then I changed it into Old Alan Sugar Has a Zoo for some strange reason. <laughs> I think I got bored of Old MacDonald. Um, and like, you know, him laughing and, and doing all that. And we've got lots of photos um, of like me and him having fun. And actually that's what I remember. Um, I obviously do remember the other bits to a certain extent, but in terms of with him, I'm sure it did affect him. But I think because we did have such good family support, I at least hope that it hasn't that much. And actually, so he's four now and he's incredibly empathetic. Like if I'm ever upset about anything now or I've hurt myself for some reason, he always comes over and gives me a toy or tries to like dance to make me laugh and stuff like that. So he seems to be a very well-balanced child. So um yeah, hopefully. Do you, do you think that would have been an encouragement to you at the time if you'd known that he was going to be fine? And that uh, were you worried about how he would be because of how you were? If I'm honest, at the time, that wasn't a worry because I was so in my head. But definitely afterwards, that's been a worry, definitely. Um, and I guess that's why one of the reasons why I haven't gone back to employment because actually. I effectively miss large chunks of the first two years of his life. So I don't want to miss the next chunk till he's at school. Um, so I, and I definitely appreciate those times more. Um, and it was really nice when I got to the point where I was like, I love spending time with him and doing stuff because actually I hadn't experienced that before because I've been so anxious that what was consuming my head was how am I going to get through this? What happens if I keel over, like I said before? And so I wasn't enjoying it. I was just kind of getting through it. Um, so I felt like I was very a dutiful mother, but not like 
overly maternal at those times so yeah and what what were your work plans were you on maternity leave yes so I was um and before I had um Oliver I was definitely going back to work um I've always been career centric and that's what I've always liked um and then after having him I did go and do a few kind of contracty bits and pieces I couldn't go back to innocent because um I wanted to do part-time and that wasn't available but um I tried a few bits and pieces but they just it didn't really work for me because I kind of I'm a kind of 150% type person. So I felt like I couldn't give even 100% to the job and I couldn't give 100% to him and I wasn't prepared to compromise on either. Um, and I just found that it, it made the postnatal depression worse, to be honest, because I just had too many things to balance. Mm -hmm. And I guess because I'm a people pleaser, I wasn't managing to please everyone. So that made me a bit stressed. But so that's why, so with Mummy Links, I can help mums and I can set up an app and I can learn new things like social media I'd never done that before just learning all these things I can feel like I'm helping and I can do it in the times when for instance at the moment he's at preschool um and it's great because I it kind of gives me some of that identity again and it uses my brain and I am helping mums who have been through or are going through what I've been through in terms of a mental health journey but it doesn't you know if he's sick or it's the school holidays that doesn't matter I can just draw a line and pick it up again later which is yeah for me I feel like I've got the perfect balance <laughs> <laughs> well we're going to talk about mummy links a bit later but I just want to focus still on those early days mm. did you have an NCT group or a group of friends that you could yeah. see yeah so um, I had a great NCT group there were four or five of us I forget now um and um we've all kind of scattered around the country a bit now so we don't get to meet up too much but yeah they were really good although I guess because I didn't know them beforehand um, and because I'd had a C-section and found the recovery like physically quite difficult as well, I didn't see them for a while and I guess I wasn't very open about my struggles with them to start with because, you know, you do get to know them quite well but I didn't and I guess I felt quite ashamed because I felt like I was the only one struggling. Um, we go to a local church so I had a big group of friends there um, but again, I was one of the first of my peer group to have a child so... Um, I didn't have many people I could kind of look up to and kind of ask questions of um, or if they had similar age child they were on you know their second or their third so they were <laughs> uh, they knew what they were doing but um, it was when I started talking to people and being honest about the struggles I guess once I come through them enough to feel confident in sharing I was absolutely astounded at how many mums said me too um, like either right now or they had been in the past, like the number of them that were on antidepressants or doing counselling or not doing either, but really struggling, just kind of blew me away. Mm -hmm. And I just, and I kind of became the person that everyone would kind of admit <laughs> to that they were struggling, um, which was actually a real privilege. And it helped me because I knew, oh, it's not just me, but it also helped them because they were now talking where they may well not have done. So I'm the kind of, I'm quite happy to be quite honest and open and kind of, if I can help other people. So, and that's, I kind of guess where Mummy Links came from, because I just kind of thought there are tons of mums out there like me. I've always been the organiser in my group of friends, like for play dates or I guess before children, you know, just nights out or whatever. And I just thought, well, if I'm sitting at home on my own and I want to get out and see people, there's got to be other people doing the same thing and I knew for me that getting out a bit of fresh air a bit of chat always helped or almost always helped um I had gone through periods where I'd cancel play dates at the last minute with silly excuses just because the anxiety would suddenly hit but I just thought I'm actually quite confident in meeting new people and chatting and so I I need to use that confidence to help other mums do that because I know it's what's best for them even if well maybe not best for everyone but you know that was my experience um that we need to kind of get get together. So I set up a WhatsApp group with, it was probably 20 or so mums in my local area. Um, most people knew the majority in the group, but not all of them. And then if one of us wanted to go to the local park, we would just say, I'm off to the local park in half an hour or whatever it might be. And more often, a handful of mums would join. And then you'd have a great afternoon together. The, the kids would play or not, depending on what age they were. And we would have a chat, a bit of fresh air, maybe a bit of a walk. And then I thought... Well, if we can benefit from this and the group grew and grew and grew, why can't everyone else benefit from it? So, yeah, it is really important to have that support system. And I think it's 
not only having the support system of mum friends around you but being honest with them about what is going on you know it's not all roses and picnics that you expect from the movies like it is difficult and actually if you're finding it more difficult and that you've lost the kind of light at the end of the tunnel the joy then you probably do need more help um and if mums around us can be you know looking out for each other and saying oh you know have you thought about going to the gp if everyone just knows what the symptoms and things like that are it's actually the quicker you get help the quicker you will recover and the less lasting effects so that's got to be a good thing is it is it something that just fades over time is it a hormonal hormonally link because you said it you um oliver's about two when you started feeling better mm. and you said you'd done talk therapy um and so on but would it does it just fade i think the tricky thing is that for everyone it's like it is different because the root cause will be different so obviously the hormones don't help so most mums will get the baby blues which is definitely hormonal although weirdly I didn't I've always wondered whether that's a link I didn't get that I had it for the rest of the two years instead um so hormones definitely pay, play a big part in it um and there's, there's actually a condition where people get really anxious or depressed um in line with their monthly cycle as well so you from that you know that hormones it does play a part but in the same way as dads can get it obviously they don't have the hormonal changes like we do so it's about a, like a life transition and the lack of identity and just I think the lack of support for mums which is why I'm so keen to support mothers at home matter because actually mothers at home do matter um and all mothers matter and we need to ensure that they and society see that um so I think for me it was I remember one particular therapist, because I tried uh, quite a few, um, and she said to me that I just needed to accept life how it was. And that seemed a bit strange because, you know, my husband, and she said my husband in love had often been saying, you know, we're going to fight to get you better, you know, and we got to the point we were actually paying privately for her in the end because we just, he thought, this is ridiculous. I've lost Emily for two years and we're just going to throw money at the problem. And it was expensive, so it was tricky, but it did, it did help in the end, thankfully. And she said, you just got to accept how you are. And like, if, if you're having an awful day, you don't want your husband, albeit in love, saying, we're going to change you, we're going to get you better. You want him to give you a hug, tell you he's with you, he loves you how you are, and that's fine. And it took me quite a few weeks to kind of be like, okay, because you're kind of like, well, that's weird. I don't want to be like this forever. But actually, it was so true. Once I learned to kind of take that pressure off myself, as a bit of a perfectionist, let's be honest, to not try and push through, because every time I didn't manage to do something I expected myself to do, I felt like a failure and I would berate myself, you know, I might, I used to think like I used to be able to talk at conferences and run a supply chain. I can't even meet my best friend for coffee. Like it literally got to that stage. And then actually, if you then say, okay, well, I didn't manage to do that and that's fine. And if life is like this, that's fine. And just slowly by accepting that my world got bigger because I got to the point where I was basically just living in my living room or well, in my house at least. And the thought of anyone came in, coming around filled me with absolute dread and panic attacks. And actually, I would, you know, I might walk down the road with the buggy and I come home. That might be it. But I'd see that as a small success as opposed to life as an overall failure. And then, you know, I get down into town and then I might have a friend around for coffee. And I just slowly, you know, I managed to go to soft play and I slowly got kind of further and further out. And I remember actually putting a post on social media. I think it was... It was probably only a year ago um, where I'd launched the Mummy Links app and I said, I may have launched the app this week, which for most people would be a huge achievement. And obviously it was. But actually the biggest achievement was that I'd taken my son, um, who was three at the time, to Chessington World of Adventures. Now that might seem silly, but... I'd taken him on my own and for me being around crowds and being in queues where you can't get out and you know I remember we went on um what's it called the Gruffalo ride you know you're in a boat you're inside you can't get out that was a huge challenge for me for the last few years and actually for me that was the biggest thing that I've managed to do something just me and him and around crowds and you know hot and noisy and all this and actually that was a much bigger achievement and I think I remember putting it on Facebook and it got a huge response. And some of my friends were like, oh, I thought you were over that now. And whilst, I, like I said, I felt much better after two years, there was still some remnants of anxiety and, you know, a few things you have to ease yourself into. Um, 
And they were all kind of like, oh, I didn't like realise that it went on for so long. And actually, to come back to your question about like how long, I, I remember reading, um, I can't remember the source, to be honest, but I remember reading that it can be up to the kind of five years is generally when it is likely to stop. But obviously, you need to get help as well. Like it's not something you can just purely do on your own, I don't think. So do you think it was a case of what helped you was identifying a the next step you could do, whatever that step was, mm, and yeah, then doing, doing that? Little. And also, if you had a bad day and you didn't manage to do whatever it was you managed yesterday, that that's fine. It's just accepting that actually, yes, I might have been in control of my life and be able to do everything before, but now I can't. Mm. And that's fine. Um, instead of constantly trying to get back to who I was before, kind of saying... I may never get back to who I was before, but that's fine by me. Mm. Um, and that's quite a difficult realisation because, you know, in all honesty, I would like to get back to where I was before. Um, although, let's say, let's be honest, right now I am pretty close back to where I was before, but not because I've been striving to, actually because I've been striving not to. I've just kind of crept up on it. Mm. Um, but it is it does seem slightly backwards. But I, went, I wonder if you could um, liken it to a physical... Uh, rehabilitation you know if you'd broken your leg mm. you wouldn't be disappointed because you couldn't go for a five mile mm. run like you did before you broke your leg yeah <laughs> you, yes uh, you know just being able to put any weight on it would be an achievement yeah yeah and in mental health it's a health issue mm. and if you're ill then you you have to accept what it is you can yeah, do completely. and identify that mm. and not berate yourself that you're not doing no, something that's completely it's, it's all about being um, kind to yourself. hundred percent, yes. And there's lots of posts on social media about kind of self-care. And as mums, if you aren't looking after yourself, you can't look after your family. And it is a really difficult thing because, you know, as mums, we try to put our families first. And, you know, that's what you do need to do. But by to put them first, you do need to be taking care of yourself. And whether that means you know, going, having a spa day once in a while, or I actually, um, makes me sound like a granny, but I actually do cross stitch every evening for about half an hour or so. And cause it's something a bit creative and it's just, you kind of just do what it tells you to do. And it just clears my mind. And I've done it for the, like the last probably three years. I've been working through different, doing different ones. And I find that really, really good and therapeutic. And actually that's my time that half an hour each night, once my son's gone to bed, um, whilst my husband's very nicely cooking my dinner, um, we've decided as a family that that, you know, it's needed and it and it really works. So I love mm. that. So would you say with um, something like um, postnatal depression, that it's a mix of factors, that there's a, a physiological, biological factor, which is not helped by the, the change in life, massive mm. change in life, which is not helped by the loss of identity. Yeah. <laughs> and then also society saying, when are you going back to work? Yeah, and that what you're doing at home is a waste of time yeah. and you just need to be working yeah. and doing something worthwhile. Yeah, and there's, there's constant mum guilt, isn't there? I was I read the, um, the book by Alison Pearson... I forget oh, how the, hard can it be yes or the mm. one before it's actually um I don't know how she did it or something oh, like that yes. I actually watched the film my husband bought it me for Mother's Day <laughs> my son did um and you know there is that constant balance that guilt kind of that you should be doing this and you should be doing that and and there's no should about it like what I've really learned is that you work out what's best for your family and that might not be best for the family next door or down the road, but you need to work out what works for you. So I know, you know, some people have um, kind of raised concerns. That's not quite right, but kind of been surprised that, so like my husband cooks dinner most nights and they're like, oh, but you're kind of at home. Why don't you do that? And actually, like I just said, that's because that gives me that time to have half an hour to relax. And for us, that makes family life work. And it works better for him because, you know, happy wife, happy life. Um, and he's, I mean, he's very understanding. And like I said, I couldn't have done it without him. But you do just need to work out what works for you and not judge everyone else. Um, and like, I think I've got the perfect setup, like I said, so I can kind of work in inverted commas um, on mummy links so I can get that kind of piece of the puzzle for me. But it doesn't impinge on looking after Oliver. But just because that's perfect for me doesn't mean that that's perfect for somebody else. Um, so, yeah. 
And so coming around to Mummy Links, at what point, so you set up your WhatsApp group Mm. and then how did that lead, did that lead into Mummy Links? Yes. And and do you want to say what Mummy Links is? Yes. So, um, good idea. (laughs) Um, Mummy Links is a free app. Um, It's a safe place to meet mums for local play dates. Um, And it's invite or approval only to ensure that you are meeting a mum that's a friend of a friend somewhere along the line. Um, It's UK wide, but it, the biggest density at the moment is kind of southwest London because that's where I'm from. Um, but there are pockets all around the country, which is great. And what mums do is it's very, very simple. They just post, you know, that they might be going to the local soft play or this um, mums and toddlers group or whatever it might be, or just the local park at maybe three o'clock this afternoon. Um, and then all mums within, at the moment, the radius is 30 miles, but we're, we're I'm reviewing that. Um, they just get a notification to say that, ex mum is going here and um, would you like to join and then you can see if other mums are joining and the idea is that you're not necessarily going to make a lifelong friend but you might do it's not a matchmaking service it's literally mum x is available at this time and are other mums available to join um and the idea is that it can be used quite last minute um and i've set it up with it's for all mums but with men mums struggling with mental health in mind because obviously that's my background um, because I found it really difficult to sign up to um, any specific baby classes, you know, in a term or whatever, because I just didn't know how I was going to feel. And so paying £100 or whatever it was for the term for something just didn't seem right. And it, for me, it would put the pressure to go and then it all would go out the window. Um, but I also found that quite often when I was putting in play dates with my current friends, probably at times 80% of them I was cancelling last minute because suddenly the anxiety... And so then I got to the point that I wasn't planning them, but then I would get anxious because I didn't have anything to do and it was all it was a difficult cycle. So what I'm trying to make it is so that when a mum feels, actually, I'm okay this afternoon, I'm going to get out, they can pop something out and find some mums to, to meet. Or likewise, if a mum's feeling a bit down, it could just take a ping in their pocket of their phone to say, this mum's going to this place. And you might think, you know what, I can I could do that or I'll at least give it a go. Um, so it's very low pressure. Um, yeah, so that's the plan. So, um, it's been a kind of a labor of love over the last two or three years. Um, and I've kind of done it through just donations of family and friends. Um, I found, um, I'm not very technically minded, so I found some great, uh, great team of two that have helped me create the actual app side of it up until this point. So how, how did um, you find them? kind of friends of friends contacts um it was quite tricky because app developers don't come cheap um (laughs) but I found these two who were really interested in what I was doing um they saw the need and they were happy to donate their time to do it so um I've been very lucky but it does mean it takes quite a long time because they've been doing it you know in their evenings and weekends and stuff so I'm hoping to kind of step up to the next level now and I just applied for some funding um to hopefully kind of do it I guess more properly if that makes sense um, and really get it going because the feedback from mums is that it really helps them um, but I just need to get it out there so that it can help more mums mm-hmm. um, and obviously as it grows it kind of goes from strength to strength. I guess it gives you some hope in, <coughs> hope in the day because when you've got a small child the day can seem very mm. long and if there's nothing in it I remember my dad saying with the old people he's from Lancashire the old people would say they'd um they'd go to the library to get an hour over yeah and yes, I, yes, I used yeah. to think that and particularly when the clocks changed and I remember my daughter waking up at five and I realized that was actually 4 a.m and oh. I thought oh the long oh, day it's so true got the day, so long. yes the day just disappears so I would yeah. always try when I when I felt better to have one play date or activity in the morning yeah. and one in the afternoon and mm. the day would just whiz by um and it is true when you're just at home on your own it you know it 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 is slow and it can be difficult so and I think particularly because mums often now typically don't live near their parents or their family they may even have moved away from their friends to a kind of family um area where they can get a family home and so they actually don't know people unless they are part of some religious organization you just don't know people in your area so I'm trying to help mums build that village again. And equally, they can use it if they go on holiday, they can change their postcode or if they move house. And then there's hopefully a new community for them to join up with. Um, and I specifically at the moment, um, n- there isn't much chat function through it. So you can chat on a particular play date. But my hope is that it's for mums to get out and meet face to face. It's not another platform for them to debate parenting styles or whatever it might be online, because actually I don't think that helps. You know, we know technology is great, but there are downsides to it. So I'm using technology to facilitate real life meetings and. Um, 
yeah, and that's the plan. And it's it's been interesting, some of the feedback. Some mums have said, particularly those who've struggled with mental health, you know, my, my CBT therapist or whoever it is has said, you know, now I've finished this, I should get out there and meet mums in the community and, you know, create a support system. But how do I do that? Like, it is, it is tricky and, you know, there are Facebook groups and things like that. And I did contemplate with just making a Facebook group, but, and I, I do have a Facebook group as the kind of a support system into the app, but you miss things on Facebook and, you know, it's a UK-wide Facebook. So if someone's telling you that in Birmingham they're doing something tomorrow, well, I'm in London, that's not much help to me. So try to make it as specific as possible so that we can really kind of fill that community again. And I think what's what's good about it is the way it's spontaneous and you mm. can do it at the last minute. Because if you're feeling well, a really good way to meet other people is to volunteer and, yep. and yep. join an NCT group and organise a sale or something mm. like that. Yes. But obviously, if you're struggling with your mental health, yeah. you just can't, no, you can't no chance. make it, can you? It's, it's a step beyond. No. Yeah, it just needs to be what you can manage that day and just take a day yes. at a time. Mm. Yes. And then you've been picked up by a few different organisations for like um, the the newspapers and the mm -hmm. uh, yeah. media and so yeah. on how did that happen gosh I think partly just right place right time I mean obviously mental health is a big issue that's been coming out um what would it have been about two years ago I started on um social media it wasn't something I mean I had Facebook but beyond that it like I didn't know what Twitter or anything was at that point um but I started on social media and I remember hearing about um the maternal mental um health week that was coming up it was um in may and um the perinatal mental health alliance i think it's called or maternal mental health alliance was asking for people to do um things to raise the profile of mental health and i thought oh well i could do that because you know i've had an experience i'm happy to share it um i remember um i spoke on channel four um with um I forget her name now. I know Victoria Derbyshire was on BBC a bit later, but with Lady on Channel 4, came around to my house and did an interview. And I just thought, right, I'm going to do a social campaign, social media campaign. And I remember I had 10 days. I didn't have, I had about a month's worth of experience. And I was like, I'm just going to give it a go. And I just messaged everyone I knew who cared about maternal mental health and created a campaign called Hashtag Shouty Selfie, where I just got mums or anyone who wanted to support, or that first year it was mostly mums, to take selfies of them shouting, which is always difficult to say, um, <laughs> and post it with the hashtag Shouty Selfie. And I gave them just a small um, few sentences to say about them loving someone who struggled with postnatal depression, whether it's themselves or someone else, because at that point, not many people were putting their hands up to say they'd struggled. Um, and it, it just kind of, it, I mean, it wasn't massive the first year, but compared to what I was expecting, so it had a million um, impressions, and it just kind of a million, went from a million there. impressions. Yeah, what, does that mean it's shared a million times, um, or many people saw it? It's yes, yeah. the number of times someone might have seen it right. overall it was a million. So it's amazing. But in ten days, I thought, wow. Yeah. Um, and then, kind of from there, it kind of snowballed. So last year, we had BBC Five Live support it. I had Channel Five do something on it. Um, there was a. Um, a trending article on the Sky News. Um, lots of my friends got in touch being like, Emily, your face is trending on my Apple phone. <laughs> um, and it just, people just kind of love the idea. I think because it's so simple and it's just easy to do. I take all the work out, just say, this is what you need to post, go. Had a few celebrities involved. Um, and it was just something that people really kind of liked. And I think from that starting point, it just kind of grew from there. So I was then... Um, um, got in the Daily Mail got in touch about a stay-at-home mums article um, so I was in that it was the article was kind of you know about people with good degrees and why they were now being stay-at-home mums as opposed to running the world um, and then from that the BBC got in touch and wanted to talk um, on was it the Eddie Lister show I think about um, kind of mums and depression and the identity of mums and staying at home and all that kind of stuff um, and I guess because I'm quite happy to share my experience where others might feel stigmatised still or kind of a bit ashamed. I don't really mind that, I guess, with doing the Mummy Link stuff, because sometimes people are like, oh, well, what happens if you want to go back to work? People might, you know, not like that anymore. And I'm like, well, one, I probably don't want to go back to work now. I love <laughs> what I'm doing. Um, but two, I think, well, if we don't talk about it, we're not going to bring down that stigma. And actually, I remember messaging one of my old bosses to ask for donations when I was raising donations for Mummy Links. And I kind of wasn't quite sure whether to send it. I was thinking, I might want this man to employ me again. I don't know. But I just thought, no, I'm going to send it. And he sent back a lovely response saying that actually his wife 
he struggled as well. He completely understood it and he was supportive. And actually, you kind of think, well, he gets it. And actually, I don't think I've, if anything, I've opened some doors there. Um, but, it, you know, you do have to be a bit careful. But, yeah, I think it's, I've just contacted, I mean, I've sent a lot of emails to a lot of people to try and um, get it out there. And that's what I'm doing now, because obviously it's coming up on the 29th of April. So I'm just kind of just getting it out there. And I think if you just, if you have a cause that you're truly passionate about, and it's something, you know, that other people, you can get them on board and passionate about, then it it just kind of happens and it proliferates. And that's what I'm hoping. So hopefully this year will be even bigger because yeah, it was 8 million last year. Totally. So um, hopefully it will get bigger and bigger. But yeah, it's hard work though. Well, you, you missed out the highlight, which is that you featured in the Mothers at Home Matter newsletter. That is true. That is really, I think, what <laughs> kickstarts it all is our little uh, <laughs> our feature in the Mothers at Home Matter newsletter. How did you get involved in Mothers at Home Matter? How did you... Golly. You, you emerged into our inboxes somehow. If uh, I'm honest. Did we find you or did I you I can't find remember. Uh, it was probably 18 months or so ago and I'm not quite sure, to be honest, but... I somehow mm. came across it and I just thought, you know, it rang completely true with one, ensuring that mums have an identity in being a mum mm. and that those around them see their value as well. Um, but also I remember there was talk about, you know, campaigning the government to enable mums to stay at home if they want to. So, you know, in a similar way, you know, each nursery gets X amount per child from the age of two or three, depending on your income, well, if the mum wants to stay at home with their child, why couldn't that funding go to the mother or grandmother if that's what they want to do? Um, and I think just, yeah, kind of as I learned a little bit more about the organisation, I just thought, you know, this seems like a great thing to be involved in because, you know, staying at home isn't going to be for every mum. Um, and quite often for post-dated depression mums, I've got many friends who have gone back to work and that's made them feel much better. So it's not going to be for every mum. But if they want to and they see the benefit in it, it would be nice to live in a society where they could because a number of mums I come across through Mummy Links that want to be at home but just feel they can't. Like they financially, they might be able to be at home but they just feel like I can't because then I won't be able to get a job when the children are older or, you know, what am I going to talk about at weddings or dinner parties or whatever about what I do? I just have to say I'm just a mum. And, you know, just, just changing that perception um, I think is really key because it's the most difficult job in the world. Like it was easier when I went back to work for me, but it meant that, like I said, I'd missed so many months and years of my son's life that actually I wanted to be at home. But you, I do get people saying, you know, you've wasted your great degree and, you know, mm. things like that. And actually I don't feel like I have because yes, I don't make any money, but I'm helping other mums. And by helping those other mums, I'm helping their children further down the line. And I'm able to be around for my child so yeah like I said I keep saying I feel like I've got the perfect situation <laughs> it is interesting that thing about um wasting a good degree because uh, a lot of what you say reminds me of what people say in society that they're judging everything by how much you're paid mm. rather than how much you're contributing yeah and and the satisfaction you mm. have and uh, all the conversations are about you know how much do you get paid for this that and the other and if you can yeah. do something if you can afford to live on one salary yeah. which, which people is can't yes. <laughs> yes. but you can then do something that makes a difference mm. to people yeah um that's such a fulfilling thing yeah, to do totally. and and you can prioritize the time with your child mm. and work around them mm. and then and hopefully mummy links will turn into something that uh, is self-funding yes that's and, the plan and, yep. and emily funding well that would be nice too <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, <laughs> it's so, so when you hit america with it is it anyone in the u.s interested yet uh well it's so it's just uk i've only set it up for uk postcodes yeah. at the moment um so yeah could we'll, it could we'll it go to that. america there's nothing that means it couldn't i mean we need yeah. to change the tech so that it would have zip codes mm. as opposed to postcodes uh, yeah. but there's no reason why it can't um but yes I'm, I'm always a big thinker um but I need to focus on you know the here and now and um get that going but uh yeah we've got some exciting things coming up so hopefully um yeah hopefully it will work well what exciting things have you got coming up well I mean so shouty selfie coming oh, yes. up on the 29th which is always good um although that's much more about awareness of the condition than anything else um but I've just applied for a fund fingers crossed to um to really kind of take my links to the next level, to be able to make the tech, add in some other bits and pieces, some other functionality, um, make it more, have some more mental health um, help on there. Because um, at the moment, whilst it is set up to help mums with mental health or to maintain good mental health, um, it doesn't have 
kind of signposting to information that might be useful yet um, because we've just had to do the bare minimum to this point. Um, but yeah, I'm also talking to um, different NHS departments and the hope is to have health visitors actually approve mums into it because like I said, it, it needs to be kept safe. That's one of the key things um, so that mums feel safe and that they're meeting mum friends. But um, that, as you can imagine, can make it difficult for some mums to get in, um, which is frustrating for them and, and myself alike. So I'm hoping to get to the point where you know, at a even a booking in appointment or something like that, um, the GP or the health visitor could sign a mum up there and then, because obviously they're a mum sitting in front of you. So um, that's the plan. So oh, and, and when you get to the park, say you did badges or something, have you got, how do you know someone's a money um, links person? Well, so at the moment, there's you have a photo on the app. Um, okay. So when someone sets up a play date, the photo attached to it is of the mum who's setting it up. And then you can also see a list of other mums coming. You can press on there and you see photos of them. It then gives their username, so which can be their real name if they want to, but it's up to them. And it also, you have to put in your child's birth month and year. I mean, you could make it up if you so want to, but near enough yeah, so yeah. That you know that yeah. you're meeting with a nine-month-old as opposed to a three-year-old, because obviously you know be appropriate for different ages and so you vaguely know what you're looking for um we are looking at other ideas of how we can make that more easy to meet but actually generally it works as long as someone has a clear enough photo of what they currently look like and you can update it you could even update it just for that day this is what i'm wearing today um and then people would know who they're mm. meeting so um i don't think we've come across any issues so far but i think i guess yeah you do have to be a bit confident to say oh are you so and so from mummy links and then you're is away there, is there um i wouldn't know these things but isn't there some dating app where it'll buzz is it tinder or something it buzzes if you're near someone who's swiped on you Perhaps. could you do that uh, yeah, there, <laughs> so yes, you buzz I mean, if you're has, near a mummy links person yes it has been described as the um tinder for mums um it doesn't quite work like that it would just be to do with the activities because i've had it activity based but um who knows for the future mm. um but yeah we'll have to ha have a few yeah thoughts as to how to make it best but yeah the main thing i've been astounded at is how expensive apps are so <laughs> every time you come up with a great idea it's like okay well mm. that will go on the back burner mm. and just doing the minimum at the moment mm. but um and what about fathers because uh, some stay-at-home fathers aren't they can they yes. join well Someone? so that's an interesting one i remember about a year ago i surveyed my mummy links facebook group um and asked it's got about four thousand mums in it and i asked them what their thoughts were on fathers and the resounding answer was actually no they shouldn't be here and this was actually before i'd launched the app and i thought oh i think maybe once mums have seen the app because i can understand in the facebook group that there is some discussion about mm. there that you might not want to share mm. um and if some people have had difficult relationships with men then then it's might make them feel less safe um but then when i brought out the app and i asked the question again um also about childminders and things like that and the resounding answer was yes men well dads should be allowed in as long as you know they you know that they're a dad um and it was just really interesting in that six month period one i think it's because they saw the app and with the app it's about meeting and it's always in public places um and you so, can you can choose what you're going to talk about there precisely you, and they you're, don't in, know yeah, anything, you're yeah. out and about it's not like you're publicizing your you know your struggles in a facebook group potentially to people that mm. um, you might not feel comfortable doing so um so i think it was one seeing the app but also with the increase of stay-at-home dads um maternity leave and things like that so i often i'm i'm that mum in the park that often goes up to the dads and start talking to them one because they always look lonely on their own but two because i'm i'm kind of asking them oh what do you think would you want to use an app like this um so at the moment it is just mums purely again because from cost restraints every time I want to change something it becomes more difficult in timing and things like that um, but I am looking at either whether we have like a daddy links or whether we just have a drop down where you choose whether you're a mum or a dad and, and see what happens there but um yeah it's on the to-do list but not quite at the top at the moment <laughs> mm. and and in terms of mental health you've joined the mother home matter committee for mm. uh yeah. as the lead for mental health mm. um what would you say needs to be happening in terms of mental health in in the uk maternal mental health sure so i mean i think firstly it's an awareness which i think has improved massively over the last three years or so but just so that mums and and that dads and their families have it on their radar when they are pregnant you know not that this will happen to you but with it affecting one in four one in five women you know it's something we should be aware of um, and what you should look out for and what you should do if it's a problem um, and i think with that the awareness is you know that your child won't be taken away from you i mean very very seldom it might be but hardly ever like 
the most likely thing to happen is the GP will suggest but not force you to go on to antidepressants and maybe do a course of CBT or something like that. Mm. Um, so it's not as scary as people think to admit it and actually by admitting it, you get better. Um, and I think with that awareness comes the reduction in stigma that, you know, just because a mum is struggling with mental health doesn't make her a bad person, doesn't make her a danger, like it's just a struggle that she has. Um, and then I think kind of further beyond the mental health realm is just the identity of mothers as valuable members of society, that they are doing a great job um, even though they might not think they are half the time, they are by getting their children, you know, alive, fit and well through, during the day and just seeing that, you know, if you want to take one year, five years, 20 years out of a career to look after children, that's not a bad thing. Like, you know, it shouldn't necessarily be seen as out of a career. You know, you get paid your national insurance for a reason. Like, it is, it is something that's worthwhile. So I think, yeah, just changing those kind of perceptions um, of people just, yeah, doing what is right for them and their family and not worrying about the rest of society. And do you have any uh, thoughts about if if a mother is not sort of diagnosed with a mental health issue, is quite happy in life and so mm. on, but how to look after your mental health? Like you might go running to keep yeah. yourself fit, <laughs> even mm. if you're, you know, you're not injured. Mm. Um, what can mothers do to keep their health well running is always a good one <laughs> um, exercise is good although obviously tricky with a, a small child mm. um but you know i used to do some pilates things on youtube like in, inside whilst my son was asleep there are some buggy i've seen some buggy, yeah, buggy fit things fit. yep there's yeah. things like that and also singing so um i was part of there's going to be a research thing about um the a, a link between singing and improved mental health particularly with depression because it it does like raise your soul and and also um you know, you can be singing and you're not really thinking about everything else. Um, and I heard also like rock climbing. So they were saying like any, that was the example, but any kind of physical sport where your brain has to be so consumed, because obviously with running, you can be thinking elsewhere, can't you? But with rock climbing, you have to be thinking, where's my next leg and hand hole going to be? That you actually, for an hour or whatever you're doing it, you're not thinking about all your other concerns so you're getting that bit of exercise and um that kind of brain space I suppose I guess eating well as well is another one I find that really difficult <laughs> I have such a sweet tooth um and I yeah when I was bad I used to eat rubbish all the time so that is a really key one but difficult to do I appreciate getting as much sleep as you can again again very very difficult but if partners or family members can give you some time for a nap or you know time to do whatever it is that you love I think I got to the point where I forgot what I love doing literally if I had a day I wouldn't know what to do with it because I'd forgotten what I love doing so try not to get to to that point and then just kind of sharing it with other people so that you know that you can support each other um and you know that you know you're not alone other people are going through this and actually you know you can help them when they're down or struggling and they can help you and kind of you've got it together so yeah it is a difficult one but um yeah just making sure you're looking after yourself really um so that you can look after others and how likely is it to recur if you have a second or a third child i remember reading a statistic saying that you were 50 percent more likely to get it a second time if you'd had it the first time um, but I know many friends who have either not had it the second time or who have but have got on top of it mm. so super quick because they know exactly what they're looking out for that actually it hasn't really affected them, um, particularly by using antidepressants in that kind of situation. Um, but there, so I, um, I am a few mum friends who struggled particularly badly, so for a long period of time, have made the decision that we won't be doing it again because it's it's not worth that risk. But you know, it, I think it just depends how badly you want to mm. continue growing your family. And like I said, for lots of people, it, it you know, doesn't affect them again. So. And it's not definite, 50%. No, it's, it's not definitely 100%. not definite. No, no. no. So, um, yeah, you just you just don't know. But I think if you're looking after yourself better, you know, you if you were making sure you had a bit of downtime, you know, you slept or relaxed when baby did as opposed to, you know, cook the next batch of puree <laughs> or zipped around with the hoover or whatever you might be tempted to do, um then, you know, if you'll just give yourself a bit more slack, I think, mm. then you're probably less likely to get it. But obviously not completely. Um, but yeah. Yeah. But it sounds like it's really good what you're doing. And what? how could people donate if they wanted to? 
Um, well, the best place at the moment for information is mummylinks.com, um, where they can sign up on the Shouty Selfie page for the campaign that's coming up. Um, I need to put a donation site on there at the moment. Um, I haven't actually got one at the moment, other than for my lovely father-in-law's wedding, where they did um, donations instead of gifts, which was nice. <laughs> um, but I think if anyone wanted to um, get in touch, I'm at mummylinks app on Twitter and Instagram or info at mummylinks.com to email me, then I can send them details of how to do that. Brilliant. Well, Emily, thank you very much. And thank keep you. keep doing what you're doing. I will. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to that interview with Emily Tredgett. Um, just once again, her her website is mummylinksapp.com. Um, if you want to take part in the hashtag Shouty Selfie Day, uh, which is 29th of April, you need to take a, a selfie of yourself shouting and post it on social media and tag five friends who uh, you think will um, care about maternal mental health. But um, there are lots more details on her website on how to sign up for that. Uh, there's, I promised in my very first um, podcast that I was going to do a media moment and I haven't done one since then but um, hey ho here we go I read an article in the paper the times a couple of weeks ago by a lady called Emma Duncan and what is uh, it sounded really promising it's called why do we work so hard to avoid our children so I thought this would be a really good celebration of the value of being at home or the value of looking after children ourselves but she comes up with a couple of uh, really interesting fallacies that a lot of people fall into these days and I think you have to subscribe to these if you're allowed to be printed in a newspaper. Um, the first one is that her children apparently claimed that they were happy that she wasn't looking after them and they actually preferred being with a nanny, I mean at least they were with a, a nanny, um, because they were glad she wasn't around to be on their case all the time. Well the question is though what case would she have been on and surely it would have been good for her to be around to be on the case if there was a case to be on. So there is a sense that some people who haven't been able to look after their children for whatever reason but generally the ones who could have looked after them if they'd chosen to will generally say oh no my children are much better off with someone else and actually um she even says that there have been innumerable, innumerable studies of uh, outsourced childcare, which conclude that childcare is no worse for children than being raised by their parents. And indeed, children who have attended nurseries may have better social skills than those who haven't. Well, that's rubbish. There may be studies saying that, but um, the vast majority of the research coming out is talking about the value of children spending time being cared for as much as possible uh, by their parents and that that is extremely valuable and that uh, of course if you lock your child at home and never go out with them uh, when they're under five then they might not have brilliant social skills but most parents will take their children to the park or to um, play groups or whatever they do not have to go to nursery to develop social skills and there are some advantages um, intellectually to going or cognitively to being in a nursery some of those children enter school at a higher level of what the government cares about which is reading and writing but those uh, then the children who've been cared for primarily at home but um, those benefits dissipate by the age of seven it makes no difference whether they're in nursery or not as to whether they can read or not but there are some issues to having been in external childcare which never dissipate so that's another fallacy that she's just got away with there saying that actually someone being cared for outside the home by someone not related to them is just as good as being cared for on a full-time basis or you know largely part-time basis by their their parents uh, and then the, she also says that um, she mentions parental leave should be evenly divided um, but again that's an issue because once you start giving uh, taking away parental leave from mothers then there is a lot of pressure on those mothers to go back to work sooner than they might be ready to go back to work and there are innumerable reasons why a baby and under one-year-old um, will thrive more with, if they're with their mother after after one or two or a certain age 
um, it's wonderful if the father's looking after them uh, the majority of the time. But under ones, my concern is that if parental leave is brought in and uh, fathers are effectively forced to take their um, share as such, that mothers will have to go back to the office much earlier and will, will erode all the advantages that mothers have at the moment where they are able to take six to nine months or even a year of maternity leave, which is really, really important for many reasons. So um, uh, poor old Emma Duncan, that's her article done with. I mean, at least she does say that um, parents might look back and think what a shame that they didn't spend more time with their children and that that is the point that she's going at that it's ridiculous that we we have children and then the government thinks we want to scurry back to work as soon as possible and not care for the people who mean the most to us in life so she has a number of good points but unfortunately she ducks all the major issues about the value of uh, children being cared for by their parents anyway so thank you very much for listening today i am on Facebook and on Instagram at Mothers Matter and on Twitter at Podcast Mothers. Um, you should be able to get this podcast and you probably already have on iTunes or uh, Podcast Addict or any of the other downloads. Um, you might have to search th for it through iTunes. But uh, thank you for listening. And if you have any feedback, please do get in touch. I'm on Mothers Matter at Outlook.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mothers Matter. Thank you to James Ede from Be Heard, who has done the audio production. And thank you to Mothers at Home Matter for all their support. If you have any positive comments, anything nice to say, please write to mothersmatter at outlook.com. If you feel it's really necessary, please send any constructive feedback to the same address, mothersmatter at outlook.com. And please do subscribe. I really, really would love it if you would subscribe. I'm hoping to do a number of very interesting interviews and to give a voice to mothers everywhere. My name is Claire Pay and you've been listening to the Mothers Matter podcast. Thank you.